I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. Belinda Carlisle gained worldwide fame as the lead singer of the band The Go-Go's, one of the most successful all-female bands in history. Incredibly, they're still the only female band who wrote their own music and played their own instruments to have reached the top of the US album charts, which I find a bit of a head-scratching thing. Uh, Belinda, however, went on to have a prolific career as a solo artist as well, selling millions of albums all over the world with hits like this. Such a classic, but her career wasn't without its challenges. Uh, in the limelight, she saw uh, she had to overcome addiction uh, whilst in the spotlight and grapple with the media's obsession with her weight. She once described herself as a bit of a rebel. So when we talked earlier, I began by asking her when her rebellious streak began to show. I remember like four and five because I was forced to go to Sunday school, church camp, Bible school, whatever. And I remember like sitting there and just going, I don't know about this stuff. And uh, that was like at five years old. So, um, but I, you know, I've always been a contrarian. I was just born that way. And, you know, it was a, a, a mother's nightmare. I was a horrible teenage teenager. And, um, but I've just always, even now I'm more restrained. I still have that that thing, you know, um, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm still a contrarian for sure. You said you were a horrible teenager. What were you pushing back against at that time? Oh, my parents were really strict. I mean, like I said, I went to church. I was forced to go to church. Um, you know, I was the oldest of seven. Um, you know, they, they, I was kind of like the guinea pig in the family. So, Uh, My mom had me when she was like 17 years old. So, I mean, she didn't really know what to do with me. So that was, um, you know, I think that just trying to control somebody like me at such a young age, it just had the opposite effect. So, yeah, I was always, I was always, you know, I mean, I was the the girl who brought beer to school and smoked cigarettes and took acid and and all that stuff in in high school. And that's just the way I've always been sort of, even at, 
being sober, I'm still like that in some ways. And bearing in mind the fact that you are now sober, but your own struggle uh, with addiction. I, I know right. your dad was an alcoholic, wasn't he? Which I'm sure right. would have shaped some of your behavior at that age as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I know. And alcoholism and addiction is, is there's a genetic factor in it. And, um, you know, I, I definitely picked up that gene. <laughs> so did, so did a few of my brothers and sisters. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a hereditary thing and, you know, it's conditioning. It's, it's, it's a lot of variables. And plus, you know, being someone in the music business, at, at, especially during the 80s, is like drugs and especially are an occupational hazard. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was right in there. Interestingly, because I think a lot of people will probably remember the super groomed, super glamorous version of you that came with your solo career. But actually, you were... Um, one of the original punks, uh, one of a very small right. minority who existed uh, in Los Angeles, which wasn't really a, a, a city that was overcome by the punk rebellion, was it? But it must have come at a at a really good time for you. You know, here you are, this rebellious teenager, and 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 there's this 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 new wave movement of kids just going enough, you know, and that right. anger and everything else. How did you stumble on punk, and and did you instantly feel like you, you'd found a home? Oh yeah, I mean, I I was always into California radio, and I was always in. I loved music, and um, then music in the seventies sort of changed, and it was kind of boring, especially in California. That laid back, you know, Doobie Brothers kind of thing, which I appreciate now, but back then it didn't. It did, I, I didn't like it at all. And then I found um, like a whole different genre of music and art class, like Iggy Pop and Velvet Underground, and and um, I started getting really into that kind of alternative music and then going down to the record store. Um, uh, there was only one in our town that I grew up in and, you know, buying Melody Maker as a as an export and, and um, all the music magazines and discovering um, the Sex Pistols. And and it just appealed to that rebel and contrarian in me. And then you know, I mean, I found other kids who were um, exactly like I was. In fact, it's funny because in my first band was a band called The Germs. And <laughs> my my so punk. bandmate was Pat Smear of the Foo and he's in the Foo Fighters. So when the Foo Fighters were inducted into the Rock Hall last year and the Go-Go's where we thought it was really funny from The Germs as kids to the Rock Hall. But um, that music, I mean, if it wasn't for that music, it, the Go-Go's could never have happened. Um, and, you know, Pat could never have happened. It was, it was a great, um, I mean, I think with each city had its own sort of attitude. We couldn't really be angry politically. There wasn't a whole lot in Southern California in the late seventies <laughs> and early eighties to be angry about. But, um, so it was, it was it was different than London, which was more political, or New York, which was darker. Mm. But if it wasn't for that scene, I don't think I'd be be here talking to you. I mean, I I was DIY from the very beginning. You were also though pioneers, perhaps without realizing it at the time. And I, I wondered right. what it was that that provoked you to do things like. I mean, you were an all girl outfit, not just the band, but but your roadies, like everyone who who worked with you. Was that was that a a sort of philosophy, or a, a mission statement, or or was it just happenstance? You know, you're a bunch of teenage girls kind of enjoying hanging out with each other. 
that's exactly what it was. It was a girls club, you know, no boys allowed, no boyfriends allowed. Um, we loved it because we loved each other's company. It was a laugh and, and there wasn't any sort of uh, feminist philosophy behind it at all. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't sort of, well, it was kind of thought out because we didn't want boys around. And, and I guess in some ways, especially when we came on tour here with Madness and the Specials, I mean, and, and you know, maybe just show them what we could do it on our own, which back then was, um, you know, not done really. I mean, it, you know, people in, in our sort of world were open to it, but a lot of people weren't. So we found that out. How much did you feel that you were able to control your destinies as those things happened? Because that was, that, I mean, that, that's quite a, an adventurous, enterprising thing to do and, and must have been a bit of a culture shock. You know, you came, uh, <laughs> you, you, you embarked on this tour with the, with the madness and specials, but the, the scar scene at that time, you know, it was brilliant, was really inspiring, yeah. but it also drew in some pretty scary crowds, you know, skinheads, right. white nationalists, um, you know, and there you are, an all-female uh, American <laughs> punk band. You know, how, did, how did it feel? How were you welcomed? Well, I mean, we had no money. We were living on two pounds a day and 75p had to go. We had to go to Shepherd's Bush for rehearsals from Belsize Park. But um, I mean, it was I mean, we were having a blast. And, you know, regardless of of um, the audiences, I mean, we did make some fans, but they were really intimidating and really scary. And a lot of the gigs were really, really violent, you know, there'd, and there'd be knifings and fights and, you know, and they, you know, here we were, you know, five little girls from Southern California and it was a culture shock. And it, but, you know, it, it really did sort of, um, it made us a really good band when we, when we got, went back home and, you know, it, it was, um, Baptism uh, yeah, of fire, yeah, in a way. Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. And 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 in terms of the band, you know, what were your ambitions? Was it sort of global fame and fortune? Was it musical credibility? I mean, obviously you started during the, the punk days when actually the worse you were, the, the, the more audiences loved it. And I know right. you, you've said in the past that you, you all benefited from that. But, but <laughs> you know, when did it, it start shaping into something more professional? Oh, I, you know, I remember when we were living at the, the commune, it was like a, it was like a derelict building in Hollywood and um, it was like a commune. And uh, I remember, and it was really uncool to say back then, running down the back uh, fire escape with Jane and saying, we're going to be rich and famous one day. We're going to be rock stars. And I always, I mean, I went from job to job back then um, because I knew that that your employer had to keep you for 90 days and that they couldn't fire you. So I would go from job to job and cover my green or purple hair or whatever with a scarf and just have no doubt in my mind that we were going to be successful. And I think that that, when I look back against all the odds that we faced, cause we didn't even know how to play anything. So, and we were, we had that kind of attitude. And I think in some ways we were like mini manifestors because there's no, there's no way it, it, it was no way it could happen now, but it was, it was just against all odds to have the kind of success that, that we had. Um, there had to have been something there like, and I think 
collectively that kind of attitude really you know takes on a momentum and and you can really make things happen and i i think against all odds it's our attitudes from the very beginning that really propelled us and what were you feeling i mean so so the band broke up in in 1985 so it was a relatively short adventure that you all had right. together um what was it that eventually led to the band breaking up? And, and, and what were you feeling at that point? You know, having said, you know, I'm going to be rich and famous and we're going to be the best rock band in the, in, in the world. What were you feeling having, you know, in a way achieved uh, the very thing that you'd set out to? I don't think I really appreciated it. Well, first of all, I was like a big mess. I mean, I was having too much fun. I wasn't quite a mess, but I was having too much fun. So, and I didn't really sort of appreciate at the time, and plus we were on such a hamster wheel that we didn't even have time to enjoy it. You know, when I look back, there were things that I wish that we had done differently. Like if we had taken a year off, which wouldn't have mattered really, it probably, it, you know, in the business wise, and it would have mattered a lot. Um, the band, um, our, our relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, of course, it's all the cliches that break up any band, you know, money, ego, drugs. Um, but and when, when the band broke up, I think I I felt kind of a relief because because Jane had already left the band and Jane is impossible to replace and we didn't realize that at the time and so the the time that we had after she left was a period of like six months and when it did, wasn't working I just was I was I was relieved mm. I was relieved you know it, it was just time to. To let it go, and and you know, you were you were the badass in a, in a way. You know, you were you as you said, you were enjoying yourself too much, a lot of cocaine, a lot of drinking, right. all of those things. Uh, but also, uh, you know, as the lead singer, uh, you know, facing a disproportionate amount of attention, I guess, from the media. How did that right. feel? Because, you know, I, I remember those days very well and no one had any compunction about describing, you know, women as not looking sexy or, you know, looking yeah. fat or looking, you know, I mean, it was, it was you know, really brutal. Brutal, yeah. Well, I mean, people, you know, always focus on the lead singer of any band. That's just the way it is, you know, I mean, for the most part. Um, for me, I mean... I never really had, I think the media really messed up my head to be, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I never thought about my appearance and my weight and that was part of the charm, I think in in the very beginning. And then of course you get, you know, she's pretty and plump. She's cute and chubby. She's been eating too much of the backstage deli trays. I mean, there was horrible (laughs) things written about me and for a young, I mean, I never thought about my weight. I got boyfriends. I had, you know, I had a good time. I never thought about it until the press started thinking about it. And still, I mean, up through, I'd say not so much anymore, but up up, to, up until about 15 years ago, they were still doing it. Be svelte, skinny, you know, buxom. I mean, uh, yeah, voluptuous. It's, you know, it's, it's <laughs> damaging. It's totally damaging. So, I mean, for a young girl, it was especially damaging. And I had, I had real problems with that. And uh, I'm not going to lie about that. And how did you cope with it? Because you were, you were young. You were, uh, you know, as I say, globally famous. The, the, the focus of attention was on you. Um, 
did you feel alone? Were you afraid? Did you did you turn more and more to to the the very vices that that were probably making life difficult? You know, what was it like? What did it feel like? Well, I think when I was younger, part of the reason that drugs were so great is because I was able to, um, you know, keep my weight off. And my my sister's saying, "Oh my God, you're so skinny, but you look so bad." You know, you look old. She said I looked old. And I was like at 23. But I, you know, I mean, it gives you body dysmorphia, that kind of thing for the rest of your life, which, which, you know, still to this day, not so much, but sometimes I know that I have it and I have to, you know, just remember that. I had a serious eating disorder for a while. So that that's what that did to me. And, um, you know, it was only until really, probably when I turned 50 that, I just, you know, it, it, it you know, it, it sort of, it sort of not stopped, but it a lot better, mm. a lot better. And what about uh, when you then went solo? Because, in a way, that that made you even more naked, didn't it? You know, yes. And and must have made you feel even more vulnerable. And I think at that point you were still relying on, you know, alcohol to give you courage when you went on stage at night, and right. you know, right. Um, I just felt, you know, it just made me feel really sort of insecure and not good enough and not up to, up to snuff, not up to the standard um, that uh, that was set for me or that I set for myself to. Part of it's definitely my fault. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it's just, it, it just really, it really did my head in. <laughs> it's it's um, a really, the thing about food and, and all that is that, you have to eat every day. It's not like alcohol where you can abstain or drugs and you can abstain and just work on, you know, abstinence and, and sobriety with food. It's, it's, it's really hard for some people to have a good relationship with it, especially if they're under pressure to, to look a certain way. It just is. What, what do you think should or could have been done differently that would have made you less vulnerable to, to your eating disorder, but also to, to addiction? nothing could have been done about the addiction part at all. I mean, that I, like I said earlier, it's, it's partly genetic and I have, a, I had a good time for, you know, well, pretty much for 35, 40, you know, 30 years of, of uh, drinking and using. So, um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, if things could have been different, I would have said that the focus on any woman's mine at that time the focus uh, too much focus put on my appearance would have made a huge difference but, less focus on your appearance yes yeah, yeah. exactly but mm. with video and mtv and how music became more about um appearance than it did then it became or, or just as important as the actual art mm. so yeah i mean you know i mean i would have taken i would have said no MTV, but at the same time, MTV is really great because you get to see the artists that you love. But it's, it was a, it was a double-edged sword. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Belinda, we've been talking a lot about the past, um, which is all very fascinating, but I'm very interested in, in the present as well, in, in so much as there are lots of things about you that are, that are very intriguing. First of all, um, you have a real wanderlust and you have lived mm. in some extraordinary places. Um, yeah. Where does that come from and when did, when did that start? You know, were you always, uh, you know, a, 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 a traveller? Yeah, I mean, I remember when being a little girl, my parents would get National Geographic and that was my favorite magazine. And I remember looking at Varanasi. I remember it like it was yesterday and thinking, I, I need to go there. And uh, so I not only ended up going to Varanasi, but living in India. So um, I've always been like that. I'm a gypsy. I've, I've, I have gypsy blood. So, yeah, it's always been a part of me. And what are you looking for when you, I mean, I know you've lived in, in, in Bangkok. You're, you're, you're living in Mexico yeah. now. Um, mm-hmm. Are you are you naturally rootless, uh, or, or or are you looking for something that you haven't yet found? No, I'm not looking for anything. That's for sure. I think I'm really interested in in culture and in languages, and um, I think it started actually when before we left LA back in 1994 when we moved to France. Is I was really it was the first time we moved to a, a foreign country. And there's been like eight since, but um, I, when I was like going vacillating and then I read a quote, I think it was Helen Keller who said, life is an adventure or it's nothing. And I said, well, that's it. So, and I remember when my husband was working at William Morris as an agent and going to like the 50th, 50th anniversary of the head of the company is his service to William Morris. And I just looked at the, around this country club and thought, this is it. This is the last stop. No way. I don't want that. And tell me, one of the things that's also fascinating is, you know, as you've described it, that you had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of, you know, mental health issues as a result of addiction and all of those things. That makes a person pretty hard to live with. And yet you have this <laughs> fantastically enduring partnership with your husband. I think over 30 years you've been together now. 38 years. I mean, that, that is extraordinary, particularly in the music business or in right. show business, if you will, you know, where, right. where relationships, you know, tend to end pretty uh, abruptly and prematurely often. So w- what's the secret? How do you think, how, how is that, how have you managed to achieve that? Well, I think he's, uh, he's a really evolved person. And, you know, there were a few instances when I remember when I first got sober the second time and I just, you guys, cause I, I just kind of freaked out in Herod's of all places. And, and I said, well, why did you, why did you stay with me? And he said, I could, because I always saw the real person underneath. I don't think it would have stayed much longer if it continued, but, um, but we really like each other. We're like best friends too. So, you know, 
he's tolerant, you know, and, um, you know, we've, we've known each other more than half of our lives at this point. So I, I, it's a miracle, actually. You said in an interview once that you can't believe you're not dead after decades right. of, of, of drug addiction and alcohol. Um, and, but your biggest regret is, is your absence as a mother for right. your son. Is that what finally prompted you to get sober in your 40s? No, I didn't even realize that actually until I wrote my book, you know, I mean, that was that was like, you know, dredging up memories. And I remember that that um, when you were living in France and I was on the road for something and um, my son, Duke, thought I lived at the airport, which that was like a really horrifying memory. And I, you know, through a lot, well, through all of my, for the most part of um and for him living at home up until um, maybe when he was 12 or 13. I mean, I was drinking and using. So I wish I was more, had been more present even when I was there. But he'll say that, you know, I was, you know, fantastic and stuff because he doesn't, has nothing to compare it to. The Go-Go's, as you mentioned, were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year. You had right. huge success as a, a solo artist too. Um, I, I'm still slightly shocked by the fact that you are the only female band uh, who write their own music and play their own instruments to have reached the, the top of the US album charts. I mean, that was that was 1982, I think, which is really right. quite a long time ago. Um do you feel that there is still an issue for female artists, you know, that there is an issue of of just not being taken quite as seriously, perhaps not being listened to quite as much, not believed in? Maybe it's just as simple as, as people having belief in you. Music is more sexualized now, I think. And I, you know, a lot of, a lot of women would say that that's empowering. I would say it doesn't help the cause. You know, you might get attention, but um, I mean, but but not good attention. And it just sets it sets women back. I mean, I remember the, the Go-Go's a few years ago, we were doing the Billboard Music Awards in the States and we've seen it all and done it all. And we were sitting in the second row and watching all these young girls in these in these bands or or singers. And just we were uncomfortable that it was so. <laughs> sexualized so you know in an industry that's run by men yeah you mean that that sense that 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 girls seem to be growing it was kind of like do you remember when there were ladettes in the 90s and i always thought this isn't feminism this is this is girls feeling like they have to act like men and 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 actually you know some women might but might be more masculine some women might be more feminine but we're definitely not men you know exactly and 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 it feels a bit like that it feels like um women are still being forced to perform within the parameters of the male imagination for what women can be and how they should do it. Yeah, it's disturbing. It's really disturbing. And, and I, I don't think the Go-Go's could happen now because we would never have gone for that. I mean, I, I was told at the beginning of my solo career, um, you know, I'll put it nicely, but you should sing songs, you should show more to cleavage and you should sing songs like Stick It In Me, Stick It In Me, basically. <laughs> And um, just thought, nice. You're talking to the wrong girl. Um, you have really come, you know, to a very good place. Uh, I imagine in your life, you you get up now when you probably used to start thinking about going to bed because I, th- <laughs> I think you get up at at four a.m. You yeah. you do yoga. You do, you know. 
And all of those things, Buddhism, you've embraced as well. And, and, and I know that, you know, that sort of spiritual aspect of your life is, is very important to you. Right. Do you feel confident and that you've come to yourself as a mature woman? Because obviously for a lot of women, it, this is a very difficult period of their lives. Menopause, all of those things. Everything seems right. arrayed to make you feel rubbish about yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not... It's not easy for women of a certain age. It's just not. But I mean, I'm alive, and um, I have a lot of friends that would like to be that, that would like to be here still. That's what I focus on. Is just the privilege of me being able to get older, and uh, it's a privilege, you know. And uh, there can be a lot out there that makes you feel bad about that, but there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with aging. It's the most natural thing in the world. So that's what I focus on. And I just focus on my gratitude that I'm here, you know. And you are touring the UK early next year. Uh, you said to me at the beginning right. of this, I don't know when your birthday is, but but that you're 64. How does it feel uh, getting on stage <laughs> with this uh, decades tour? Um, and, you know, I, I guess that must be a really exciting thing to do, actually a really powerful thing to do, is it? Empowering. Yeah, I mean, I, I have such an amazing body of work to to draw from, um, from the past five decades, which is scary to say five, but it's true. So, um, it, it, and, you know, I've this, this whole summer I've been doing festivals, which is fine, but I like doing my own shows because I do have some, um, I mean, I've worked with the best songwriters in the world. So, yeah, it'll be really fun. Um, I think that anybody who comes will be really happy. They're going to hear all the hits and they're going to hear, um, you know, some of the go-go's. So there's, like I said, there's a lot to draw from. So I'm excited, you know, and, and I, haven't, I haven't done a tour since I think 2019 because of all the, the stuff going on. So it'll be good. Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4, on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.